The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Welcome to this episode of Grassroots Marketing. My name is Brandi Shapiro-Babin, and I am so honored to have with me on uh, this edition, Robert Beasley, who is the Chief Executive Officer of Fluent, a multi-state operator in the cannabis industry. And uh, I'm ex- so excited to have him here because it's not that often that you meet people who have such deep heritage in the industry. Robert, welcome to Grassroots Marketing. Hi, welcome. Thank you for having me on. This is awesome. So, you really, you've been in this industry since the turn of the century. <laughs> I'm not sure about that, but I have been in it a long time, at least since the start of the Florida program. Well, but I, I thought you, you started getting your hands, quote unquote, dirty with your law firm back in 2001. Right. We uh, founded the law firm in 2001 and we focused on, um, from the from the early days, we started focusing on cannabis legalization and cannabis uh, political issues. And it did not become operational, if you would, until closer to 2015. Okay, excellent. And, and prior to becoming the CEO, you sat on the board of directors for Fluid. Yes, I was appointed to the board of directors uh, along with my appointment in uh, around January of 20. So exciting. When you, when you first took on the job, and you took a look at what was happening in the industry, we're smack dab in the middle of a, a pandemic, what were some of the immediate changes that you made to, let's say, right the ship in these crazy times? <laughs> well, uh, Fluent as a company had followed a pathway at, as of that moment of, of some of the others. Uh, MedMed comes to mind. And it had really gone through a rapid expansion mode. In the early days, there was kind of a, a race for licenses and in, 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 a, in a horizontal expansion type modality. So you know, the company prior to my existence, um, it obtained a Florida license. And then, you know, before it was able to develop out that license, had gone to get a Puerto Rico license and a Texas license and a Michigan license and really had really become very thin. And so my focus, the pandemic, of course, played into it somewhat because it, it added an unknown factor. But my focus with this company was to kind of grow by contraction, to start looking at some of those projects that were really not revenue producing and didn't have a horizon for revenue producing and start to cut them back and really focus on what was going to build this company and and bring it out of the the slump that it was in, which was primarily Florida. Fast forward to today, you're, you're opening up several more dispensaries in Florida. So how does your plan differ from an expansion perspective versus the course they were on before? How did you put more meat on the bone for them? It's all about balance. Balance is key and scalability is one of the biggest struggles of cannabis, especially in the vertical operation scenario. And so, 
if you think about a vertical operator, we really are three, possibly four companies in one. We are a cultivation agriculture company. We are a manufacturing processing company, and we are a retail front company. And and what this company had done, as as well as many many others, is they had had, had really taken the growth towards the retail side. When I first became involved in this company, I was asked, how many stores do you have? And I would say, well, I'm going to answer that question for you, but it really doesn't matter because I'm not the gap. I'm selling product that I have to produce. Really what you should be asking is, what is my cultivation capacity per my ratio of stores? And so the first step was to bring this company into balance and now keep it in balance. Uh, We will not outgrow our supply with us being our own supplier. And that's the key is you've got to treat each of these three segments or silos of the company um, as, as kind of almost levers that need to be in, in harmony with each other, almost in balance, like an equalizer in, a, in an old stereo. Yeah, I mean, that's brilliant. Now, leaving. Well, actually, let me ask you this question. Right. So I live in South Florida and I have the opportunity. I can go to your fabulous dispensary. How is it distasteful to you or. Um, troubling to you the alternative cannabinoid market in South Florida? It's not distasteful or in any way concerning from a competition point of view. It's scary as far as an industry goes. You know, the consumers, you know, it's hard for them to understand the difference between legal and illegal and, and licensed and registered and otherwise not. And, you know, Florida, like a lot of southern states, is a fairly new consumer group. Our average patient age still remains around 53, and they're usually first time to cannabis. And so we do not have the most experienced, seasoned veteran cannabis users that are coming into this market. And what has happened is the fact that it's legal, the fact that there are legal stores, has has caught the attention of those patients who are seeking it for the first time. Well, now you have a first time consumer. And there's not enough clear directive. And of course, the enforcement has been uh, absent almost entirely to be able to tell that consumer, this is the registered legal product that's been tested five different times before market. This is not. And so it, 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 it's going, you just don't know what's in it. I mean, the, the, the short answer is you have no idea what you're buying. You have no idea what you're consuming, but yet they share market space with us. And so no legitimate, legal, safe product wants to be sharing the shelf with an illegitimate, illegal, unsafe product or possibly unsafe product because we all go down together. And that's the scary part. Amen. So what is there anything being done in the state of Florida to to, you know, start to wrangle that? Because to me, cannabis is medicine, whether you're doing it recreationally or you're incorporating it into your med regime. And and you're 100 percent right. The majority of people do not understand that even if it looks pretty walking into a smoke shop or a gas station and it's easier, maybe access, it could be doing you some physical harm. So it, it could be, it, it could be at best, your best case scenario when you buy a, you know, a gas station product is that it's just not bioavailable. It takes a good bit of science and engineering and, 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 and manufacturing effort to make these molecules available to our system. And, you know, so at best, you know, you buy a product that you just cannot, you know, it's not bioavailable to you, you get very little of the effect and, and you waste your money. You know, and of course, at worst, you have um, adulterants in there or processing adulterants that we work very hard to test for. And all of these processes lead to such things as heavy metals and pesticides and, 
and, and other uh, residual solvents that it's quite difficult to get out of this product sometimes. And so we take the effort to, if the batch fails, it doesn't go in the market. We have no idea that this is process is being enforced by wherever that small little bottle of material came from that ended up in the gas station. Now, is what is being done about it? Not enough. There's not a state around that is um, really cracking down on a consistent basis. I'm not sure if it's a lack of resource with, uh, enforcement resources. I'm not actually sure. It was just in Washington, D.C., where we do not have stores, but I was looking. And, you know, the pop-ups or, or black market, as they call it, is substantial there. And those shops are open plain day, and they are um, beautiful. They're actually quite nice shops. You go into them, and you would have no idea as a consumer that you just walked into an illegal enterprise that is selling a product that has no standards whatsoever. And that that to me is like it's it's very, very scary. You know, this entire time with the industry, I think we've done so much good. But from a governmental perspective, it's like the train left the station with major parts missing. You know, it was years and years and years to push any kind of legislation. So speaking of legislation for you, you know, you're going to be opening in Houston, which is really exciting. And you're one of three. You're also in Pennsylvania, correct? Correct. Correct. So for you, what's your experience been working governmentally between those two states? <laughs> those two states are different. You know, Pennsylvania, it was by the time I became part of the regulated public there, um, was already a well-developed regulatory scheme. It's a, it's a really good state for cannabis as far as the market goes. The regulatory groups are, are, are pretty robust. They're pretty well-funded. Um, they um, do police. They do um, audit pretty regularly. They're not afraid to fine you, which is fine. And, and so you have a, a fairly well-developed regulatory environment in Pennsylvania at this point in time. And I would say that that uh, well-developed regulatory environment leads to the, the answer of it's the right time to go adult use because mm-hmm. adult use is a little harder to regulate. And so you need the, the, the institutions to be well-funded and in place and ready. And Pennsylvania feels ready. Texas is a completely different scenario. Texas is a typical southern state. They have struggled to uh, put a program out that is viable economically. Uh, in the early days, the bill contained poison pills that were intentionally inserted to you know have a cannabis program in name only but not actually economically we've been treading water there for years it seems waiting for there to be some legislative developments that would allow us to put to stand up an actual business in texas and now we now we've made it there but you find there to be regulatory resistance i'm sorry legislative resistance uh-huh. There's no real promise that this bill that just was passed is going to be signed by the governor. It may very well uh, fail again. Um, and so you have a decent amount of legislative resistance. And that comes from some of your more fundamental right groups that are typical in a southern state. Texas mm-hmm. is very much a southern state. So it's a slow development from a political point of view. You have a, In Texas, you have a regulatory agency that was handed the ball and they are doing their best. They're a great group. They are uh, very energetic about it, but they're nowhere near um, as funded or as resource-filled or have the history and time on the ground that you saw in Pennsylvania. So you have a, a group of well-intentioned but fairly new to the concept. In fact, it was handed to DPS. DPS dealt, deal, dealt with light, driver's licenses, guns, the state troopers, and the Texas Rangers, and they were given this program. 
unlike some states where you see the program go into a Department of Health that's a little bit more in tune with public health issues, Mm -hmm. this went entirely to a law enforcement program. Now, they've got a good energy level for it. They're very easy to work with. They're doing their absolute best. But it just wasn't an agency that was prepared to regulate essentially a medicine. And so you have two totally different environments um, when you compare those two states. It's incredible. And then if I'm not mistaken, when you when you do open in Houston, which is my husband's hometown. So I know in the next month or so, you know, when as soon as you open, I know he'll be we'll want to get on a plane and go down and be one of your first customers. You don't have the offerings that people normally want to access. Do they understand that by not offering flour, what they're doing is almost promoting the black market instead of creating a safe harm-free environment? Flowers the hot button, right? You'll see this develop. You'll see it in Kentucky. You'll see it in um, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia. You, you will see this in these Southern states because flour is smoking weed. And, and when you have a bill that ekes by because it is medicine and, and the substance is medicine, to add the form of that medicine as being the flower form, you automatically push the trigger and hot button of anyone that says, see there, they're just smoking weed. But meanwhile, so, so sorry, but meanwhile, if you are a child, I think, what is it, 14 and up, you can go with your parents or someone over the age of 18 to a bar and imbibe alcohol. Like, and I, and I, and I understand it's a Southern state and it takes people a while to pivot, but it, that's just so bizarre to me, to be honest with you. Well, and, there, and if you want to debate the issue, there's so many things you can say about flour, you know, the fact is, is that flour, um, although the concentrations of THC are increasing, it seems daily, and now we've seen products in the 30s, um, flour is a much lower concentrate by volume um, than a distillate, or a, certainly more than a concentrate, uh, or less than a concentrate. And so if you wanted to pick the safest form of mm-hmm. administration as far as dosage, you would pick flour. Yes. Um, but flour just has you know, smoking a smoking a joint is the uh, that's the image that they're trying to avoid, and so it comes, it does come. Even Florida, if you recall, did not have flour at first, and you have to get the program off the ground. You have to get legitimacy to the item and the product as medicine established. And the way you do that is, I've watched it happen over and over again. The way you do that is by anecdotal <laughs> evidence of those that you trust, and so you know this advocate against it, um, whether it's a legislative advocate or otherwise, you know, their their favorite aunt all of a sudden sudden starts using THC cream for her neuropathy or some mm-hmm. condition. And they think, wow, you know, Aunt Sue is she's she's a good church going woman, but yet here she's using this product and it's helping her tremendously. And all of a sudden it starts to convert from, you know, this this product that is, you know, a gateway drug right. or that of an underculture. Now Aunt Sue uses it, and that's how the change happens. I just had hoped that BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. 
BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. We were past that. You know, when I when I look at from a legalization perspective, I mean, you know, to me, if you can go organic, you know, it's 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 organic, it's healthy. And then on top of it, just the income that each state I would think need after the past couple of years that we've been through. Kids can be in school five days out of the week. The roads can be repaired. It's just it's just interesting. There is a ton of anecdotal evidence from state to state about how well these programs have worked, some states better than others. So it's interesting, you you know, you take a state like Texas, who in so many ways is so sophisticated and have some of my favorite people live there that are so conservative. And I do think the hopefully they pivot quickly, because if not, respectfully, they are promoting the black market inadvertently to something like Pennsylvania, where we have one of the one of the senators in Pennsylvania wants to host a podcast series on cannabis radio because they want to fully immerse themselves in the industry. They want to make it safe so that if the older American wants to incorporate cannabis therapy into their med regime, that they feel safe to do it, help keep kids away from it until their brains have developed properly. So it's just, it's so interesting seeing the different side of this. Yeah. And now that we're able to study it either anecdotally or otherwise, you know, the future of this as both a medicine and then also as a recreational substance is is pretty bright. I mean, we're continuing to dial in exactly how it works and exactly which components go together to to treat certain conditions. This is the science that being in a prohibition era prohibited. And so now the private companies are taking on that science because we're very much interested. If we have a patient, you know, it's 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 interesting to have a product that treats you know, neuropathy and foot pain and glaucoma all at the same time, you, you know, those are different acting ingredients. Mm-hmm. So breaking that out is the next step for cannabis. The more we do that, the more we'll see cannabis derived medicines. And you'll see this separation where those medicines are more and more accepted. Already we have, you know, great success in topicals and other cannabinoid-based medicines that, that do not have that effect of, quote, getting high, and, and they are immediately accepted. It's just once you kind of cross over that medical to recreational uh, boundary is, is where it gets a little touchy, and flower represents that crossover. That's so interesting, Robert. I like, I don't think I, that is really interesting. Like that never even occurred to me. If it, like, so, you know, it's interesting being in the industry. So for me, I think the safest thing would be flour, right? I mean, because it's um, in its natural form, if you will, vis-a-vis using extracts where you're manipulating things. So, but I understand the perspective isn't the science per se. The perspective is more what the word marijuana on the streets has meant to these various states. Sure, it's cultural. It's yeah. a cultural acceptance, and uh, 
you know, you see this in, in, in many different debates, the difference between perception and reality. And, and that's just what we're up against. And, and it, it does change though. It just takes a minute and we'll get there with, with cannabis and these other Southern states we will eventually have flour. We just need to prove up for a while that, you know, there's not going to be long lines of, of, of users laying in the street afterwards, after this bill comes down and after we start selling product and we just have to, you know, prove our, prove our value and, and prove our place in the market. Absolutely. So talk about proving your place in the market. What truly differentiates you as an MSO than some of the other MSOs out there? So we're, we kind of led the charge to quality in Florida. Um, when I became involved in Florida, uh, the, the second or third time with Fluent, um, I had been out in Oregon and other states standing up companies and working and, and, you know, my very first memo to the board in Florida was your company sells medium quality and medium quantity cannabis. And I said, good news. So do all your competitors. And, and so we set about building a facility that was a small batch kind of artisanal type grow. And we're able to push out a little bit higher quality. And, you know, it, it kind of, it's kind of like the graduation of wine drinkers, if you would. You know, ultimately, you don't know what you don't know until you taste it. And you're saying, oh, well, I kind of like that. Mm-hmm. Well, that started this quality trend. And others have jumped on now. There's others. Uh, there's certainly other competitors in Florida that are producing a quality product. But the overall result is that quality has increased. We also have a wide range of products um, that are still strictly medical. We've kind of stuck to the medical base. And those are regular consumers. That medical consumer... Okay. You know, they come, they, they're there every, you know, every Tuesday or every second Wednesday. Um, and we're part of their medical regime now, as you pointed out. Um, and that gives us this real strong um, repeat customer base um, that we've been able to ride along. Um, you know, going back to flower, flower consumers, especially in an online culture, you know, they're, they're, they, they shop around. Um, we'll watch them, you know, they'll shop, they'll be our customer today and, you know, someone else's tomorrow and then back to us the next day. They're very price driven. They're very, um, uh, new driven, uh, new strains, new, new developments. Uh, they want to try something new. And so that customer's fun to capture and really helpful, but they're very ephemeral in nature. So our, our, our broader base is those other products, those derivative products that, um, you know, the, the same people are buying all the time. It's very regular and, and they're, that's part of their regime. So let me ask you, because you hit a, an interesting point, right? For some reason, people tend to bounce and a lot of, you know, some people are price driven or some people are, Ooh, there's, you know, a new shiny thing, but what kind of ex- user experience are you giving people that creates that loyalty to you versus somebody else? So we're, we're working on a couple of those components. We user experience and customer experience has been kind of the hallmark words of our last probably a year. And, you know, we, we've worked on it in several different ways. One is access. The world has gone to online. The world has gone to express, you know, Uber eats is here to stay DoorDash, you know, getting it brought to you, you know, pushing a button and getting your, your materials is, is now an acceptable and expected item. We can't quite do that because of our regulatory restrictions, mm-hmm. but we can get a lot closer to it. We've worked developing express access. We all our new stores have drive-throughs. Um, we have um, we have uh, online, and we also have in the store direct self-serve units, kiosks. So 
getting access, getting in and out, getting getting that speed of service is one of our big um, components. And then the flip side is interesting because then there's also this whole other segment, which is the segment I was talking about before, that need a little more care. They need a little bit more contact. They're, they're not ready to, to online order yet because they don't really understand the terminology. They don't really understand. And so we have a fairly robust training system where the customer comes in and the minute they start illustrating just being a little bit new, a little bit lost, they automatically click into a, a very well-established training program, an educational program. And then that customer kind of goes through a different circuit within our stores. They go through more of an educational experience circuit where they're, they're, they're getting what they need. Because like any new product, um, you know, sometimes people are a little embarrassed to ask. They're a little embarrassed to show that they don't really know what they're asking. And so we have these two different tracks trying to trying to cater to both. Okay, I love that. I mean, and how about for people that want to have a sense of community, right? Like, I love my medicine. It's I feel like they're my tribe. Um, Do you do like in-store activations? Do you create an environment that, you know, people can kind of you know, instead of being the corner bar, it's almost like, you know, the, the corner store where they can count on being around people that care, anything like that? We try to do that through our outreach and our, in our events. Um, we're doing a better job now of coordinating our store activities with events in that community. Um, and instead of having the company sponsored event, have the store sponsor event, have the actual curators there, because those relationships are key. The information and, and, and knowledge level of the, of the person you're buying from has always been very important in cannabis. Mm-hmm. And so having trust in that person and, and knowing them is important. And so we're doing a little bit better uh, job and focal point on uh, local activations um, and have a minute where the customers will come by. And they do. It's interesting. You know, it's, uh, you, know you think no one has any time in their day anymore, but some of these activation events will have customers come just to see their favorite curator and talk and chit chat for a little bit and have a hot dog or something. And so this is how we're spending a little bit of off off sales counter time to try to build those relationships. Yeah. Well, I think that sounds wonderful, Robert. I want to thank you for being with us. I want to ask you if you'd come back again, because I feel like we've only scratched the surface and whether you're a medical patient, a consumer or someone in the industry, I think there was so much goodness and value that people will get from this interview. So I can't let you go unless I get a commitment to come back again, please. <laughs> I'll be glad to be back. We could talk for hours and, and wander through many different subject matters. It's a fascinating growing business. It's the reason I got into it was an opportunity to be a pioneer. And, um, you know, I, it, it, it's got such a long future ahead of it in this country. And um, we, we will all look back on these days of, of jumping through unnecessary hoops to get to, to get to the uh, product to the market and, 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 and think about it uh, with a, hopefully a little bit of humor. I love it. I love your attitude. I love your attention to detail. And thank you for being an amazing industry steward. <laughs> well, thank you. You're welcome.